0: Please turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to uh, the Gospel of John. We have been working through the Gospel of John for a couple of months now. I'm not sure when we started the Gospel of John. A couple of months, and uh, we come to uh, the third. We're in the third chapter of John. We come to John chapter three, verse sixteen this morning, and we're just going to be talking about that one verse, John three sixteen. Before I read that, let's pray together. Our Father, we come to you uh, this morning as we do week after week ready to hear, wanting to hear, longing to hear you speak to us through your word. Father, we pray that you would speak. We pray that you would pour out your spirit on us, that you would give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear, and minds to comprehend and hearts to receive everything that you have for us in this verse. Uh, Father, we pray that you would give us right understanding. Uh, we, Father, we pray that you would convince us of your love this morning as we read this verse, that you would convince us as we look to the cross of your love displayed there, that we would go out from here uh, people who who more fully Rest in the love of our Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Well, the older I get, uh, the more sentimental I get. Uh, when I was uh, younger than I am now, I-, I was a bit more cynical about sentimentality, uh, but I've been worn down over the years. And uh, I can now admit that I like sappy movies, and uh, especially sappy Christmas movies. But we need to be careful uh, when we present God's love, not to present God's love as mere sappy sentimentality, and in doing so to miss its splendor and its glory and its depth. Uh, there are, uh, of course, at least two errors uh, when thinking about the love of the Father we can minimize it and fail to believe that God is love, or we can sentimentalize it and, and distort God's love. Uh, we can see God's love as absent. Or we can see God's love as weak. Uh, Some of us are more likely to see God's love as weak. Uh, God loves everyone indiscriminately, uh, but it's an ineffectual love. God is kind of the great grandfather in the sky who just hopes the best for everyone. Others are more likely to see God's love as absent. If God really loved me, we think my life would be different. It would be better. It would be richer. It would be fuller. So clearly, God doesn't love me. Well, John 3.16 is one of the, the great verses in the Bible that talks about the love of the Father. And yet perhaps especially because of our familiarity with it, it would be possible to come to it for kind of warm fuzzies but miss its profound depth. And so we're going to look at the Father's love this morning under seven headings. The Father's love is affectionate. The Father's love is active, the Father's love is sacrificial, the Father's love is indiscriminate, the Father's love is innate, the Father's love is beneficial, and the Father's love is evocative. Uh, if, you, if you want to follow along, those seven things are listed in your bulletin. First, the Father's love is affectionate. Uh, what, what is love? Before we talk about God's love, we need to have some idea of what love is. Uh, that, that's not so easy, right? Because if you ask a dozen people, you'll get a dozen different answers. I have often stressed that love is an action. Uh, to love is to give of yourself for the good of another. But there are other facets to love as well. So, so to love is to, to know and to enjoy and to serve another. We love with our, our heads, hearts, and hands. If you love someone, you will know them, you will enjoy them, you will serve them. And these are good kind of working definitions of love. They help us live it out. But we might ask, well, well what simply does the word love mean? Of course, that just uh, brings us to one more definition, one more way of defining love, which is that love is an, an internal attraction that impels to action, right? It's, it's an affectionate concern, and the first point I want to make is just this, right? The, the text says, for God so loved. And whatever else we say about God's love, simply using the word love implies affection. To say God loves is to say God has an affectionate concern for, an affectionate interest in. God's love is not devoid of emotion. It's not cold or callous, And just notice the way God speaks to Israel in the book of Hosea. In Hosea 11, verses 3 and 4, we read God saying, It was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke of their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. Right? Notice God's affection, his compassion, his, his emotion for his people. And he goes on in that passage in Hosea 11, verse 8, as he, after he speaks of, of judgment to come upon them, he says, he says, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. See, when we think of the Father's love, we must think of, of deep emotion. And is this the way that you think of the Father's love? Is this the way you think of God's love for you, right? Not, not cold, not unmoved, not distant, but warm and affectionate and intimate. And so first point, simply, is that the Father's love is affectionate. That's the, the baseline for love. But as real love, it is an affection that leads to action. And so second, the Father's love is active. Talk is cheap, we say. Actions speak louder than words. If you say you love someone but consistently are harsh with them or unkind or absent or distant or aloof or critical or abrasive and so on, right, regardless of what you say with your mouth, your actions say otherwise. True affection leads to action. And so, noticed in our text, it says, for God so loved the world that, for God so loved the world that, and, and let me point out two words. Uh, there are two words that maybe you normally skip over when you read this verse, and that is the word so and the word that. Uh, these words go together. The Greek word for so is actually often misunderstood. The word here, as one commentator put it, is so qualitative, not quantitative, meaning it means how, not how much. For God so loved the world means not for God loved the world this much, but for God loved the world in this way. The word that then signals in what way God loved the world. For God loved the world in this way that, and then it goes on. Now, we're taking uh, baby steps here, I realize, uh, but I, I just want you to note, right, that God's affection leads to action. He loved the world in such a way that he acted. He did something. God is not passive. He is not just hoping for our good. He did not see us in our condition and, and feel for us without that feeling going somewhere. God acted. So the Father's love is affectionate. The Father's love is active. Third, the Father's love is sacrificial. Sacrificial. How do you measure someone's love? It's tricky, isn't it, right? It can even be dangerous in certain relationships if you start to try to measure people's love. Christmas is coming up. Do you measure someone's love by the cost of their gift? I hope not. What's the problem with that? Well, if that were the case, right, if you could simply measure someone's love by the cost of their gift, that that would mean that those who can spend more can love more. And that that can't be right, can it? Uh, Jesus corrected this thought once when he was sitting outside the temple, and he saw the rich coming to the temple with large sums of money, putting it in the offering plate, and then he sees a poor widow who comes and gives two small copper copper coins, which uh, uh, the writer tells us basically equal one penny. So this poor widow gives a penny, and Jesus responds like this. He says, truly I say to you, to his disciples, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had all she had to live on. The measure of her giving was not how much she gave, uh, but but that that she gave sacrificially. As Paul put it elsewhere, that she gave according to her means, even beyond her means. The actual cost of a gift is is never the point, but, but we might say that the cost of the gift in relation to the wealth of the giver does say something Uh, So when a poor person gives out of their poverty, that says something. Uh, When when a busy person gives you their time, that says something. When someone gives according to their means or even beyond their means, this demonstrates the extent of their love. It's the extent of the sacrifice, time and money and thoughtfulness that, that demonstrates the extent of the love. This is why Jesus can say in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. See, the extent of the sacrifice demonstrates the extent of the love, and what greater sacrifice can there be than laying down your life? Now, I I told you a minute ago that the word so is qualitative, not quantitative. It it, it refers to how, not how much. And while how, not how much is, is grammatically accurate... Uh, With just a moment's thought, we realize that how does imply how much, doesn't it? Right? In this way implies to this extent. So for God uh, loved the world in this way that shows us how far God would go. And so implies the depth of his love. And how far would he go? He gave his only son. Now, God was not impoverished, right? He he could have given us any number of great gifts. God could snap his fingers and make all of us millionaires in an instant. But that would not show the depth of his love. It, It would be easy. It would prove nothing. It would also solve nothing. And so what does God give? He gives his only son. He gives his beloved son. He gives his only begotten son. The language echoes that which is found in Genesis 22 when God calls Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, his son, his only son, whom he loved. And the point is that this is God's son whom he loves. And what does the Father do? He gives the son whom he loves for us. The Father gives the most precious thing he has, his son. And what does it mean that God gave His Son? Well, the Father gave Him to us. He gave Him for us. The Father gave Him up on the cross. He gave Him as a sacrifice. He, he gave Him for sin. Uh, this is actually taught here in the word for. Really, the word for. right. John 3.16 begins with the word for. For God so loved. Well, the word for refers back to verses 14 and 15. And in verses 14 and 15, we read, uh, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus is there referring to something that happened while Israel was in the wilderness. They had rebelled. God sent serpents to to bite and poison the people as punishment. And Moses, Moses pleaded with the people on their behalf for mercy. And God had Moses make a bronze serpent on a pole so that all who looked to the serpent would be healed. You see, the bronze serpent was a a symbol that represented the punishment that had come upon the people. And so what does it mean that Jesus would be lifted up like the serpent? It means that Jesus would be lifted up bearing the punishment for sin, that we look to Jesus and see God's punishment for sin on the cross. That's where Jesus was lifted up like the serpent, on the cross when he bore the punishment for sin for us. And so when John says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, it means God uh, so loved the world that he gave Jesus on the cross as a sacrifice for sin. It means that God so loved the world that he gave Jesus as a substitute who suffered the punishment that we deserve in our place. It means God so loved the world that Jesus was lifted up that we might look on him and live. This is the the greatness of the Father's love. This is the extent of the Father's love. This is the depth of the Father's love that He gave His Son for us. The Father gave His Son for you. How, How does that strike you? Do you feel the intensity of the Father's love in that phrase? That He gave what was most precious to Him, His Son. That the Father loved you in that way and so to that extent that the Father valued you at the price of His Son, that that this is what you are worth to the Father, the cost of His Son. The Father's love is affectionate, it is active, it is sacrificial, giving up His Son for us. Fourth, the Father's love is indiscriminate. For God so loved the world. And let me start by saying that there are ways we might nuance whatever we say about God's love uh, there, there are different kinds of love. Uh, there are different degrees of love. Uh, you might think, well, that doesn't sound right. Different degrees of love, that kind of sounds kind of shady. Uh, but, but think about it, right? A husband loves his wife differently than he does other women. At least he better. A, a father loves his children, his children, differently than he does other children. A man loves his family differently than he does his neighbors. Now, if he's a good man, right, he's going to love all of those people, but his love for each is, is different. It's, it's distinct, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, something would be terribly wrong if he did not make such distinctions. And so there, there are nuances to the Father's love as well. Uh, they're even implied in this text, because in our text we have the world, and then we have whoever believes in him as a subset of the world. And yet John 3:16 doesn't really deal with the nuances of God's love. John 3:16 simply says, "For God so loved the world." It deals with the, the universal aspect of the Father's love. And so then the question becomes, OK well, well who is the world that the Father loves? And it's a valid question because if you keep reading in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 12, verse 19, the Pharisees say to one another, "Uh, look, the whole world has gone after Jesus. Well, who do they mean when they say the whole world has gone after Jesus? They simply mean a lot of people, but not all people. If no one else, they exclude themselves. They haven't gone after Jesus, that's for sure. And so so, so, uh, there is at least a part of the world who has not gone after him. Well, 1 John 2.15 warns us, do not love the world. And there, John means either the world as it has fallen or the sin itself that is in the world or the world as a substitute for God or as an idol. And so here we have two places in John's writings where the world is used in two very different, even almost opposite ways. And so what does the word world mean? And let, let me give two answers to that question. First, God loves the nations. In John 8:12, Jesus says he is the light of the world. And that phrase echoes Isaiah 42, 6 and 49, 6, where God says he will make his servant a light for the nations. The world in, in John 8:12 means the nations. Jesus is the light of the nations. So when John says that God loved the world, it means at least that God loved the nations, meaning he loves all kinds of people. God's love is not limited to the Jewish people. God's love does not discriminate on the basis of ethnicity or nation or people group or tribe or tongue or gender or social status and so on. God loves all kinds of people. How does he love all kinds of people? He sent his Son. And this is the sense in which certain Samaritans used the word world in John 4.42. They say, We have heard for ourselves and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Meaning, most likely, uh, not, not the Savior of Jews only, but of Samaritans like them as well. Jesus is the Savior of the nations, He's the Savior of the world. When God sent his son as Savior so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life, that was an act of love for the world, for all nations, for all peoples. The second, God's love for the world implies that God loves the ungodly. The word world is often used in a negative sense. Hence, uh, John says in 1 John, do not love the world. Or in John 15, 18, Jesus will say, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. The world is the the present fallen sinful age. The world is, is broken and rebellious, and yet God loves it. God loves us in our mess. He loves us despite our mess. Listen to Paul's words in Romans 5, 6 through 10. Paul says, for while we were still weak, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Whom does God love, according to Paul? He, he loved us while we were morally weak, while we were ungodly, while we were sinners, while we were his enemies. John fifteen nineteen, 19, uh, Jesus says to his disciples there, you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, which is to say Jesus' people were a part of the world, and he brought them out of it. But he loved them while they were still a part of it because God loves the ungodly. He loves sinners. He loves his enemies. Now, this is pretty hard to wrap our brains around, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push it a step further even. God not only loved us while we were ungodly, on some level, God loves all the ungodly. You might think, okay, Luke, I think you've you've derailed now, right? You've gone too far. Should you really be saying that that God loves all the ungodly? Uh, Yes, and I can say it because the, the Bible says it. In this present life, God has some affection for all people, every single person. Uh, This is not a denial of Calvinism, by the way. I'm not repudiating the Reformed faith. God does, in some sense, love every single person ever. And listen to this verse uh, in Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel 18, 23, God says this. "'Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked,' declares the Lord God, "'and not rather that he should turn from his way and live?' Now, in that chapter, God is warning people that he will judge sin. And he ends that chapter like this in Ezekiel 18, 30 to 32. He says, Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel. Everyone according to his ways declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. And notice in the same breath, God warns of judgment and he declares his love. He says, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. And we see this again and again in the prophets. God warns of judgment and then he mourns that people will be judged. We serve a God who does not delight in the death of anyone. He loves the nations. He loves the wicked. He loves his enemies. On some level, he desires good for all people. They are his creatures made in his image. Again, God's love does not discriminate based on age or sex or race or social status or even moral uprightness. He desires good for all people. And he demonstrates that by sending his son as the one who saves the world from utter destruction so that some, whoever believes in him, would be saved. God loves all people, which is why he calls all people to repent and believe in Jesus. Let me ask you, do you believe that the Father's love is indiscriminate? Do you believe that the Father can love you, uh, whatever gross sins you may have committed, however bad they seem, uh, however bad they may be, that God can love you, even you? God can love the worst of sinners. How do you know that? Because God loved the world in this way that he gave his only Son. The only way you know, uh, you, the, the only way you can know that God loves you is by looking to the cross. There we see the love of God displayed. Do you struggle, right, to believe that the Father could love you, even you? Look to the cross, right? Jesus there dealt with sin for sinners. God declares his love for sinners by sending his son to die for sinners. Now, maybe that's not a struggle for you. But you struggle to believe, not that God could love you, but that God could love other people. That God could love those people, whoever they may be, that type of sinner. God's love for the nations, God's love is for the ungodly. God's love is for his enemies. God's love is for sinners like you and like me. And the next two points will just help us flesh this out. So the Father's love is affectionate and active and sacrificial and indiscriminate. Fifth, the Father's love is innate. Why why does God so love? Why does God love in this way? There are two wrong answers to that question. Uh, The first is God loves me because I'm not so bad after all. Uh, God loves me because I've done something to be lovely. But we've already said that God loves the ungodly, sinners, his enemies. That's what Romans 5 makes clear. There is nothing in you to draw out the Father's love. If you ask the question, why does God love me? And you answer that with anything in you, you are missing what the Bible teaches. But there's actually another wrong answer to this question. And uh, it's an answer that I myself would be tempted to give. It sounds like a really good answer. But it too misses what Scripture teaches. Why does God so love? Why does he love in this way? Many of us would say, because of Jesus. You might expect me to say, because of Jesus. I mean, the answer is always Jesus. But the answer here to this question is not Jesus. Read the verse carefully. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God's love for the world is not the result of his sending Jesus. It is the cause. God doesn't love the world because of Jesus. God sent Jesus because of his love for the world. That is the, I think, pretty clear and unequivocal teaching of this text. And so if the cause of God's love is not something in me, and the cause of God's love is not Jesus or the cross, then what is the cause of his love? Where does it come from? Why does God so love the world? Well, let me give you two texts that answer that question. The first is in Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 and 8, where God is explaining to Israel why he chose them. And he says this, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. See, God says it's not because of something in you it's not because you were intrinsically desirable. He actually expands on this in Deuteronomy like 7 through 9. But God goes on, it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. You see, he says, it is it, not because you are a great people that the Lord has set his love on you, but because the Lord loves you. Moses says to Israel, there is no deeper cause of God's love than God's love. You, you can't get behind that. You can't get underneath that. Why does God love you? Because He loves you. God's love has no greater foundation than His love. And, and the reason that that makes sense is because of 1 John 4, 8. Now, 1 John 4, verse 8 says, God is love. What is the cause of God's love? Well, God's character, which is love. God is love, and so God loves. Why does God love me? Why does God love you? Because God is love. It is in his nature to love. And so the Father's love is is affectionate and active and sacrificial and indiscriminate, and it is innate, meaning it comes from his own character. It doesn't come from something in us. It comes from something in him. Six. the Father's love is beneficial. Uh, This brings us to the goal of the Father's love. This is so important because we tend to think of love today as something sentimental and permissive. If you love me, we can hear people saying, you'll accept me for who I am. Or if you love me, we might have said ourselves, "You'll, you'll let me do what I want. As if the goal of God's love was to let us destroy our lives as we please. But that's not what John 3.16 says. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that, and here's the goal, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God is at work to to do good, to to benefit us because of his love. And, And notice just a couple of things about this. First, the necessity of this love. Humanity is in danger For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. What's the implication of that? That that we are in danger of perishing. Well, why? Why why are we in danger of perishing? Because of our sin. A few verses later in John 3, uh, we, we will read this. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. What is our problem according to the Gospel of John? Our, our, our works are evil. We do wicked things. Now if that sounds a bit harsh to you, right? If you think that well, you're not that bad of a person after all. John says elsewhere in 1 John 1, 1.8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us we'll talk more about those verses in, later in John 3 when we get there. But for now, just note this, right? The act of the Father's love is, is called forth because he sees the object of his love in danger. When you see someone you love in danger, you act. You move to help, to care, to save. Notice, second, what God's love doesn't mean, what the result is not. John says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God's love for the world does not mean that every single person in the world will be saved. Some will perish, John tells us in this verse. Not all gain eternal life. The Father loves the world, and he sent his Son that some might not perish, those who believe in him. Notice then, finally, the the goal of the Father's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The goal of the Father's love is that those who believe in him would have eternal life. God wants to give you life. He wants you to know life as it was meant to be. He wants you to experience life to its fullest, life in abundance. That that life is not found in the things of this age. The things of this age are are temporal. The things of this age fail if we seek life in them, we will be disappointed. We will end up depressed. We will become addicts, right, always chasing the next thing. Our lives will be a roller coaster. The Father wants to give us life in Him, life in relationship with Him. Do you know that life? Are you still chasing the life this world Offers. Are you still thinking, if only I have this, then my life will be complete. If only I get married, or if only I get this degree, or if only I get this job, if only people recognize me for this, if, if only, if only, if only, then my life would be full, rich, and meaningful. No, life is found, the fullness of life is found in Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So the Father's love is affectionate and active and sacrificial and indiscriminate and innate. The Father's love is is beneficial. That is, God is at work to do good for us through His Son. Seventh and finally, the Father's love is evocative. Uh, God's love calls for a response. When two people uh, say, I do, uh, they both say, I do, right? The commitment that one makes in marriage, right? The commitment of the one calls forth commitment from the other. The Father's love is evocative. It calls forth a response from us, really three responses. The father's love calls for us to repent and to believe and to act in love. First, we must repent. God sent his son that we might not perish. But to, to that end, we must repent of our sin. Again, the Ezekiel passages put it starkly, Ezekiel 18, 32, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God, so turn and live. Turn away from sin and to God. Turn away from all those things that do not bring life and to the God who alone can bring life. Turn and live. We must turn not only from our sin, though, we we must also turn from denying the greatness of the Father's love. The the Father loves us. His love is unstoppable. His love is part of who He is. His love means He will care for us to the end. Romans 8.32, He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Why do we fear? Why are we anxious? Why are we worried about the future? We doubt the love of the Father. Confess your doubt. Own it before the Father and then believe. Believe in the love of the Father displayed in the cross. Believe in the work of Jesus bearing sin on the cross. Rest in your father's care displayed there. Rest in Jesus' work accomplished there. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So believe in him. When you doubt the father's love, look to the cross. Let his love displayed there remind you, assure you, comfort you, encourage you, and then move out in love for God and neighbor. Scripture teaches in 1 John 4, 19, that we love because he first loved us, which in context of 1 John 4 means we love one another because God first loved us. God's love for us gives birth to our love for our neighbor. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. We imitate our Father by loving others as Christ loved us. Well, what does that look like? How, how are we to love others as Christ loved us? Well, we, we love others affectionately and actively and sacrificially and indiscriminately and innately, meaning out of who we are as new creatures in Christ, uh, beneficially, meaning for their good and not our own, uh, evocatively in a way that calls others to Jesus that they too might know the Father's love. And yet you will, you will never do this until you are convinced of the Father's love. We love because he first loved us. Do you know that love? Do you believe it? Repent of sin, look to the cross, believe in the Father's love displayed in Jesus, and you will be moved to step out in indiscriminate love for a lost and dying world to the glory of our loving Father. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would, that you would crack open our hard hearts that we would be gripped with the depth of your love displayed in the cross of Jesus, and that we would be moved by that love to repent of sin, to rest in Jesus, and to step out in love for those whom you love, those around us among the nations, and those around us uh, who you made in your image. Father, help us to love as Jesus loved. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.